Emerald preaching. He just tore it up. And I, I never forget that. Just a powerful, powerful service. This past conference was so awesome. How do you enjoy the conference? It just, to me, it was like getting us back to old school, back to the power of the Holy Spirit, letting God be God in our life. And so he's not a stranger here uh, to our, our ministry. He's a great friend of Pastor Sonny, and he's spoken at many, many uh, conferences. He's a close friend of uh, my pastor's wife, uh, Pastor Josie. And uh, I also want to say this. Just keep Pastor Sonny in prayer. Uh, she's not here because she's with the family, the Argosoli family in San Francisco. Pastor Sonny's having a procedure done tomorrow. Um, so just keep him in prayer. Amen. And then also to keep uh, Brother Oscar in prayer. We know Sister Mary wants to be with the Lord and just pray for them as well too. Uh, and uh, the funeral arrangements will be sometime this week and we'll keep you posted on that as well. But um, we're just going to believe God that God's going to do a great thing tonight. Amen. How many ready for, how many for the, ready for the word tonight? Let's welcome, amen, a nice capital city. Welcome to Evangelist Mario Murillo tonight. Come on, give him a hand as he comes forward. To God be the glory. Raise your hands right now, everybody. Say, Jesus. Jesus. Say, I love you with all my heart. You mean more to me than anything. You are all I need. I'm going to have you say that one again. You are all I need. Now I want you to go even deeper and say, you are all I have ever needed. And in the name that is above every name, let your spirit fall. Let your miracles flow. Let your power be felt and known in this house. Lord, humiliate the devil. And build a mighty army that will take Sacramento for Jesus. Will take Reno for Jesus. Will take Northern California for Jesus. Now everybody clap your hands. Everybody clap your hands. Come on, clap real loud. Clap real loud now. Give him... All the glory right now. We're going to take a moment and we're going to glorify God. Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Before you're seated, I want to tell you that I've been looking forward to this night for a very long time. And uh, it's very important to me that we have God's will done tonight. One of the first crusades I ever did in my life was at Luther Burbank High School in Sacramento. And when I saw that sign for what you're going to be doing there, I'll tell you, my heart is just, I can't even put into words what I'm feeling right now. But I want you to put your hand over your heart. And I know we haven't had a sermon, and I know that I am going to speak the word. But divine healing is something the devil does not want. He doesn't want you to be healed. He doesn't want to know. He, he does not want you to know that you can be healed. And I have determined wherever I go with Victory Outreach to preach healing, signs, wonders, and miracles. And I'm going to tell you a story in a few minutes. But right now, I want you to be healed. 
And Lord, you told me in the car driving here that there would be a mass demonstration of signs and wonders in this great church. That pastors would be healed. That miracles would happen. Even before I knew about Pastor Sonny's procedure tomorrow, even before I knew there was already on me a blanket of faith for something awesome to happen. So Lord, I take this moment right now to declare by your stripes we were healed. By your stripes we were healed. Now I want everyone to say this. I believe that my life is in the hand of God. I believe that Jesus Christ is my healer. And I know that believing you can do it is not enough. I believe you are doing it. I believe you are healing me right now. I believe that your power is on my body. And there will be, there will be a powerful move of God in every organ of my body. Now pray in the language of the Holy Spirit, everyone, please. Pray out loud and raise your voice. Listen, we're going to get to the word, but right now we need to allow the Holy Spirit to flow. Raise your voice wherever you are. Raise your voice. There's a young girl being healed of spinal scoliosis of the spine. Diabetes. Liver disease. Cancer. There's such power in this place that I feel like we're in a miracle service. I feel like we're in a miracle service. I don't even feel like we're in a regional meeting as important as a regional meeting is. But the devil's trying to destroy you, sir. He's trying to kill you right now. He, talk, he called you to preach. He called you to minister. And he's told you he's going to take you out. Right now, you're going to defy that word. I'm going to live and not die. I'm going to live and be anointed. And devil, I'm going to take you out. I'm taking you out. And I'm going to take souls from you wherever I go. Now, in the name of Jesus, raise your voice. Don't be ashamed now. There's an outpouring of God. You know, six months from now, you may forget everything I preach, but you will not forget the miracle of God that happened to you while we were praying. Devil, you take your hand off of God's people. You take your hand off of God's people. And Lord, we thank you that healing virtue, healing virtue from the hand of God flows. Raise your voice. I, I really believe this is important right now. Your fire, your power, your anointing. Jesus. 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 Your blood is being healed. Your heart is being healed. Your, your legs, your feet. Thank you, Lord. Yo 
Kondolo Korate Yaredebo Soyaraka. Thank you, Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, before I go to the next word that the Lord has for me for you, I want to say this, and I want to make it very brief. Number one, it is very easy for Victory Outreach to believe in healing miracles. It's very easy. It is a natural part of your DNA. Because you have always believed that a heroin addict can be delivered. You've always believed that a crack addict can be saved and set free. How many of you understand changes occur in the human body when God delivers a drug addict? Changes occur. How many of you understand that when an urge is destroyed and a new urge is created, there's no difference between that and somebody jumping out of a wheelchair and running. It's the same miracle. You understand me? How many of you believe that? Now, the second thing I want to say, and I, this counts toward my preaching time. I'm already preaching. But the second thing I want to say, and I want to say this adamantly, is that this is a new day for Victory Outreach because you have children who are growing up that have never been in a gang and have never been on drugs. Somebody, do you understand what I'm saying? And we have to begin to believe in the new addition to Victory Outreach. People that have come up in the house who were never on drugs, were never in a gang, and they need to see something handed to them that is totally supernatural. Because they've got to know. They've got to know. You see, you and I, we can know what we've been saved from. They need to see the power of God. They need to see the power of God. So right now, take someone by the hand. You don't have to go across aisles, but just take someone by the hand. When we say God's anointed now generation, when we say that, we know that's an explosive name. We know that that name was born by revelation, and it ignites something in our youth that's really powerful. But we pray for them, Lord. We pray for them right now. Because the one thing we want them to know is that you can be saved and cool at the same time. And the next thing is that their mind is a precious treasure. Their imagination, their creativity, their yearnings and desires. It's going to take victory outreach in new directions with new ideas that will fit this movement for yet and this movement will become timeless and self-perpetuating till Jesus comes. God, the devil cannot have one of our children, not one. And in the name of Jesus, Satan, you will not touch one of our children. You will not lie to one of our children. You will not deceive one of our children, but they will be anointed of God in ways that even we were not.
Somebody say hallelujah. Somebody say hallelujah. Now clap your hands and shout to God. Amen. Well, you may be seated. And I see Mondo and Vera here, and I'll tell you what. God bless you. God bless these mighty people of God right here. Folks are running around calling themselves apostles. And Sonny Argansoni calls himself a pastor. So I have a new announcement that I want to make. Can't nobody call themselves an apostle until Sonny Argonzoni calls himself an apostle. Because if he's not an apostle, if Sonny Argonzoni is not an apostle, nobody is. How many of you understand what I'm saying? And I'm here to tell you that y'all messed me up at the World Convention. I was so completely, someone said, Mara, how did you preach that night? How were you able to preach? The gift of raw terror. I woke up the morning of the day that I spoke at the World Convention, and I did not leave my room. I didn't leave my room. My, my wife will tell you, I probably didn't get out of the chair I was sitting in. I sat there in a daze, quietly praying in tongues the whole day. Then I walked out, and I saw 30,000 fire-breathing fanatics from all over the world. I felt like, and talk about old school, some of you aren't going to get this, but it's going to be funny watching you try. I felt like the second Darren on Bewitched. <laughs> and then I looked down and I see Pastor Sonny and Julie Argonzoni sitting in front of me. And that's when I went into a zone. So if you want to know my secret is, I died of fright. And the Lord in his mercy raised me from the dead. So I officially that day joined the Lazarus generation. Amen. <laughs> Everybody said amen. amen. Don't raise your hand. Just say quiet in your soul. The devil's tried to get you to quit. And he's done new and special things to get you to quit. I don't want an amen, I don't want a hand raised, I don't want anybody to be marked by this because this is by the prophetic word of the Spirit that I'm telling you. The devil, Some there are two people in this room that were going to close their ministry this month. God said that to me in the car. And it's not unusual or wrong. You're not a coward. You are not weak. We are up against devils that we have never seen before. The world is falling apart and we know it. The last thing I need to do is stand here and rehearse to all of you what you've read in the paper and seen on the news. America without revival is finished. Without revival, America is finished. We have finally 
used our credit card to the point that it has become an unsustainable and unrepayable debt. This is not a debt that our children can pay back. Now, I'm going to talk to you because there's a desperate problem in the world today that goes far beyond the national debt, far deeper than the immorality that's belching out of places like San Francisco, New York, New Orleans, and various centers of pleasure. There's something else going on that's far more important. And I want you to hear this. It's found in the 12th chapter of Revelation in verse 12. The devil has come to you with great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Lately, the devil is being seeing images of the lake of fire. And I, for one, everybody look at me now, am going to enjoy watching the devil cast into the lake of fire. How many of you are looking forward to that? My breakfast routine is to wake up, pray, and seek the Lord. Then I get a cup of coffee and remind the devil over my Bible reading, you're being cast into the lake of fire. Now I'm going to see if I can get an amen on this next part. That one who put us on drugs, that one who destroyed everything we love, that one who messed up the nations and absolutely infected this planet is going to be cast into the lake of fire. How many of you are, come on, clap for the Lord right now. The devil is doing everything he can. Whatever he's got left to throw at us, he's going to throw at us now. Whatever despair, whatever evil, whatever vileness we will see, it's going to come now. Everything and including the kitchen sink, he's going to throw at the church. And it's all going to fail. Not only is it going to fail, but something's going to happen. The good news for you is you don't know what to do next. You, you know what? That sounds terrible to say, and maybe to some of you will say, Preacher, but I know what to do next. I've read my Bible. I've read. No, I'm going to explain something to you. The level of evil that has risen in the world is so great that it is out done everything we know so far the bad news is we don't know what to do the good news is we don't know what to do I'm going to try it again see if anybody's getting it the bad news is we don't know what to do the good news is we don't know what to do and I'm going to tell you and see if you can get excited because it is time for God to do something new The reason that old methods are not working in your neighborhood is because God has new methods for you. I'm going to try this half over here. They look like they might be anointed. Yeah? The reason that things you are doing now are not working is because God is giving you new things to do. How many of you are ready for new things? How many of you are ready? See, I knew you were there. 
There is a man in the Bible who's going to become a close friend of yours in the next few minutes. And his name was Elisha. He was the successor to Elijah. And one day Elisha showed me something about being bad to the bone. How many of you remember the term bad to the bone? Now Elisha was bad to the bone because it is bad when you can raise the dead while you are alive. That's being bad. But Elisha died and his bones were put in a grave. And they dropped a corpse on top of his bones and that corpse came back to life. How many of you know you are bad when you can raise the dead while you are alive? But if your bones raise the dead, you are bad to the bone. Am I right? To the bone. And I became jealous. I, you know, I've never been envious of a Bible character. But Elisha began to bug me a little bit. Because this is almost, I would read and I'd go, no. No way. And let me explain. I want to go to heaven someday, not one minute before I'm supposed to. But Amy McPherson, how many of you know who Amy McPherson is? Raise your hand. Uh-oh. She is the greatest woman preacher of the 20th century. And let me tell you what else she is in heaven she may be the greatest preacher of the 20th century, regardless of gender. She built a church in the Great Depression and paid cash for it in L.A. called Angelus Temple. She founded a movement that has missionaries now today all over the world. She would get on NBC radio and debate atheists, and 40 million people in this nation would be listening by radio. She was put in the Billy Graham Museum of the Great Evangelists of the 20th Century. And I admired her, and I'll tell you why. She died over 50 years ago. But every year, the L.A. Times prints an article against her. They say bad things about her. Once a year, 50 years later. And I had my goal in life. I read that, and I had my goal in life. My goal in life is to make the devil so mad. I'm going to try it again. I'm waiting on this audience. I want to make the devil so mad that 50 years after I'm dead, he's still complaining about me. Somebody say amen. How many of you want to be that way? I became jealous of Elisha because one day a king said, who is telling people where our troops are? Why are we always being defeated like Israel knows where we are even before we know it? And one of his associates says, what the king says in his bedroom, God speaks and tells the prophet Elisha. He said, that's the guy? Yeah. He said, arrest him. Once again, I became jealous. Elisha. They sent 10,000 men to arrest one guy. Now, come on now. I know you got a fine car, but when is the last time that 10,000 people ever came to arrest you? How many of you know you are bad to the bone 
when the king says we need 10,000 people to get this guy. And when they got him, the Bible says he waved his hand and blinded all of them. <laughs> How many? You just have to love this man. I'm trying not to be envious. But he waved his hand and 10,000 people are blind. Then he takes them. He's got this mobile prisoner of war camp. He takes them to the king. And he says, feed them and let them go home. They go home. And this is the definition of stupid. Look me right in the eye. A man of God blinded you. You go home and you get your other friends and come back to attack the city again. And something bad happened. They laid siege around the city. And the king in 2 Kings chapter 6 verse 28 heard the most horrible tale ever recorded in the Bible. Horrendous. And the king said to the woman, what's troubling you? And I want to stop and I want to tell you, what is troubling America? Because unless you are 80 years old, you have never seen poverty like this in the United States. You never have. Food riots, they say, are coming. Citywide insurrection, civil unrest. They're telling us that this thing in the Occupy movements in the cities is going to grow and grow and grow until finally, like what we're seeing in Greece, people are just going to start tearing down buildings and burning cities. I was there for the Watts riots. And I asked myself, what happens to the soul of people that they set fire to their own neighborhoods. They're not just burning down their, their, the enemy's camp, their own houses. That's coming, folks. And I warned you, and I said this before, I don't know how many times I've said it to my friends in the outreach. People used to look at Victory Outreach and say these words, you are doing a good work. And that's code for, I'm glad you're doing it, and I don't have to. And the idea is that Victory Outreach is a ministry to a select group of people. But you are not. You are coming on the scene just in time. Help me, somebody. You're coming on the scene. You need to get excited about it. You're coming on the scene just in time. You, have, you are not a specialized ministry. You were merely slightly ahead of your time. But I believe that God is going to use Victory Outreach to turn the United States back to God. I don't think you heard me right there. That's okay. I believe that God is going to use Victory Outreach to turn America back to God. Now clap your hands, everybody. So the king asked this woman, what's troubling you? And she answered, this woman 
said to me, Give me your son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And I said to her on the next day, Give your son that we may eat him, but she has hidden her son. When it happened, the king tore his clothes. And he blamed Elisha because the same men that were blinded were back and they'd cut off the food and the water and the city had literally starved to death until cannibalism set in. And the word of the Lord says, the Bible tells us, they went to arrest Elisha. And when they walked in to see Elisha, Elisha sat there. What do you want? Well, we're here to arrest you. Seems to be a pattern. And before they have a chance to read him his rights, Elisha looks at him and says, tomorrow a loaf of bread's going to be five cents on the street. And tomorrow you'll be able to buy 20 pounds of grain for 50 cents. And one of the associates there to arrest him said, if heaven had windows, this thing cannot be possible. I'm telling you right now, I'm going to leave that story hanging. When you leave tonight, pastor, God is going to tell you to do something odd and exotic and strange with your outreach church. It'll be unlike anything you ever heard before. And I know I'm going to look crazy and I'm going to look insane in the light of all of this. But I believe that there is a gift of the prophetic in the church today. I don't believe prophets are a thing of the past. Wave your hand at me right now. I do not believe that prophets are a thing of the past. I believe that there are prophets and prophetesses that are roaming the body of Christ today. And they're operating today. And we need to listen. Because God is warning us. Is America about to go under? Is the church going to lose its rights? Are we going to become a ragtag group of victims with no future, no hope, and no power? And we're walking up, and imagine that moment. The king is standing there. I have just heard the single most horrendous story I've ever heard. And we're hearing it on the news. We're hearing about men losing their jobs, returning disgruntled, shooting up where they used to work, killing people in mass. We're hearing it everywhere we go. And it's like we're unraveling and disintegrating. And the news gets worse and worse and worse. But I'm telling you, something big is coming to America. Something Big is coming to America. And I believe that if you will listen to the man of God, that not only will your church stop struggling financially, stop struggling with empty seats, stop fearing what you think is going to happen. God is going to give you miracles in your church, souls in your church, abundance in your church, overflow in your church, and entire cities are going to be one to God. Somebody give the Lord a shout right now. Give the Lord a shout. Give the Lord a shout. One day in Seattle, Washington, 
There's a young man named Jeff Foster. Jeff Foster was not famous. Jeff Foster was not even a usher or a deacon in his church. He's a contractor. He built houses. When one day the Lord literally so changed his life that he was never the same. Now look at me, please, before I tell you more of this man's story. You are never going to be the same after this meeting is over. You are not going to be the same after this meeting is over. You are not going to be the same after this meeting is over. You are not going to be the same. You are not going to be the same. Little did Jeff Foster know that morning when he was driving his pickup to work and coming home at 5 o'clock when he was done that he would take and turn Seattle upside down. One man. And you can't believe how it happened. He came to the end of a street and there's a red light and you have to either go left or right. It's a T in the road. And there's a house with a porch right in front of him. And a woman under a blanket in a wheelchair that is half bed and half wheelchair sitting in a vegetative state her, from the neck down. She's alert and awake, but she's watching the sun go down. And he sees her and something happens. He goes home. He can't really get it, shake it. Next day, he sees her again. This pattern continues day after day. Till finally one day, the Lord says, I want you to sell your pickup truck. I want you to buy a van and have it configured so that it has a lift for a wheelchair put in it. Then I want you to invite this woman to church. So he stops everything he's doing. He obeys God implicitly in every order and then has the courage after it's all done to walk up on the porch and there's the attending nurse and she says, what is this lady's name? Her name is Barbara. And Jeff says, I want to talk to her. She doesn't want to talk to anybody, the nurse said. No, I want to talk to her, Jeff said. He was insistent. And after all the money he'd spent, he had a right to talk to her, he felt. So he told her, my name is Jeff, I'm a carpenter, and I want to take you to church. And she said, I'm not interested in church. All I want to do is stare at the sun. In, my, in her despair and in her search for spiritual peace, she'd become a Buddhist. Jeff said, you have nothing else going. You need to go to church with me. So he prevailed on her, bundled her up in the car, and that began his new life. Sunday morning, Wednesday night, that lift would pick her up, put her in the car, in the back of the van, take her to church. Then one day he showed up on a Friday and said, we're going to a meeting tonight where an evangelist by the name of Mario Morello is going to preach. And she came. And they put her in the front row. And they 
laid the back of it down so there she was resting under that blanket while I'm trying to preach. Several minutes into my sermon, she said later, I heard a man laughing. It was a beautiful baritone laugh. Then it stopped. And ten minutes later, she heard the voice again, and that voice said, Come over here. And she, without thinking, threw back the blanket, sat up in her bed, her legs now moving, stands up, and starts walking across the front of the meeting. No, I'm waiting on you right now. And then she turns around, heads back the other way. Now, only an idiot would keep preaching. Now, we go into the office afterwards, the leadership. We have a miracle, a bona fide miracle on our hands. And so Barbara says, I've got to call my surgeon. And we called him on the phone. And she says to him, I can walk. He says, no, you can't. <laughs> you see, she had been hit in, hit in a parked car by a Dodge Duster, and she was in a Volkswagen Beetle. They broke every bone in her body, the accident did, and she's paralyzed for the neck down 11 years. Now she has perfect movement in her body and she's on the phone. <laughs> I've been healed. I can walk. The surgeon says, Barbara, no, you can't. I'm your doctor. There is no live nerve in your spine. You cannot walk. He's also a Buddhist. So finally, she says, I can walk and I can prove it. And he said, Barbara, you cannot walk and let, I can't put it any more emphatic to you. But I'll make you this promise. Show up in my office at 9 a.m. If you so much as take one step on your own power, I will renounce Buddha and be converted to Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. amen. Somebody say amen. amen. Well, Barbara began to take her wheelchair and push it into churches and ask for five minutes. And Jeff would take her church after church after church. And as you know and guessed, Jeff and Barbara got married. That man was going up on that porch to get his wife. Is anybody getting blessed tonight? Is anyone getting blessed? If you were to ask me the hardest city in America to preach the gospel to, it is Seattle. Seattle has more dogs than children. There are more people in the King County area involved dabbling in New Age than there are in the entire membership of the Assemblies of God in North America. It is inundated with religious New Ageism. And God forged a weapon named Barbara Foster. And it was for that time and for that moment, I'll never forget, 
when Barbara st stood on the 700 Club with Pat Robertson. And for the first time in my life since knowing Pat, I've never seen him speechless until that moment. He could say nothing except to look at this living, breathing miracle. Now let me tell you something. God has something like that for every church in this room. I, no, no, wait. Come on now. God has something like that for every church in this room. Now, the good news is the bad news. The bad news is the good news, and the good news is the bad news. We don't know what to do. Even the folks down at Fuller Theological Cemetery no longer know how to grow a church. They think they know. We've got the emergent church, the detergent church. We've got this. We've got people doing all kind of genetic splits and hybrid moves and models in this, and it is all irrelevant to this culture. It is time for the supernatural power of God. It is time for the supernatural power of God. Now, I want you to get this. Come on, I'm not going to interrupt you. It is time for the supernatural power of God. It is time. One time Isaiah prayed this out loud. He said, Lord, do the things that we did not expect, things that we did not know, neither entered into our imagination. That's why, Pastor, you can't quit. You can't quit. And listen, there is a reason that those nasty people who used to tithe to you left your church. There's a reason that those stiff-necked Pharisees left your church. And the devil comes to you and you ain't going to make it now. I know that man was a bad man, but his check cleared every Sunday. But it cleared at the expense of your emotion. It cleared at the expense of your vision. It cleared at the expense of your excitement. And so God has moved them out, not to destroy you, but to redeploy you. I'm going to try this over here now. It's not to destroy you, but to redeploy you. Because God is saying, when this church blows up and the debt is paid and the money flows and the miracles are everywhere, I'm the only one who's going to get the glory. I'm the only one who's going to get the glory. You're going to say, I did it. It wasn't your board. It wasn't your tithers. It was me. It was God. How many of you are excited? Sometimes preachers have to say things that sound bizarre. That's why I totally disagree with this theory that we need to break everything down to spiritual pablum 
that we've got to make it somehow able to be spun and palatable to modern audiences. I've never in my life believed that that was anything but nonsense. And baloney, it's baloney. Can I say baloney? Let me tell you about baloney for a second. No matter how thin you slice baloney, it is still baloney. Now, if you look at me for a moment and listen to why you are down to nothing, is because now you will see the hand of God. Now look, what is the single most important element in the growth of a church? Is divine certainty. Help me, Jesus. You don't need to know where the money's going to come from, my friend. You don't, know, you don't need to know where the next worship leader's going to come from. You don't need to know where your youth pastor is. What you need to know is one thing. Did God call me to preach? Now look at me right now and tell me, did God call you to preach? Did he tell you to get in the ministry? Because... You know what? Some were sent and others just went. But I want to know about you. Did God call you to preach? You know what disturbs me is I get around a pastor and he starts talking like this. You know what, brother? I think I'm going to try this. And I said, brother, you have just said the worst thing that could ever come out of the mouth of a man of God. I think. You better get on your face and say, God told me. And you better know that he did tell you. Now you're going to in 1967, when Sonny Organzoni went to La Puente and began a ministry, do you think he thought about doing that? You know, I think I'll start Victory Outreach. When the gates of hell tried to prevail against this movement again and again and again, when the devil said, I'm going to destroy Victory Outreach, I'm going to ruin them, I'm going to I'm going to bankrupt them, I'm going to divide them, I'm going to hurt them, I'm going to take people out. Why did the gates of hell never prevail against this movement? Because of the divine certainty. This is not a good idea. This is not a good idea. This was born in heaven, and because it was born in heaven, it's going to cross the finish line with power. Come on, give me an amen on that. Do you believe that? Sometimes preachers need to say exotic things. Tomorrow, I know that women have eaten their own children today, but tomorrow, bread's going to be $5, five cents a loaf. I know. How ridiculous is that? And that's what's wrong with your preaching. That's what's killing your pulpit is when you decide what am I going to preach on Sunday morning, you think about what is sister so-and-so going to think of this? What are my friends going to think of this? And it's time to throw all of that nonsense and that garbage out. Help me somebody. And get alone with God and say, God, I don't care what you tell me. If I see it in your word and I see it by the Spirit, 
I'm going to preach it. I'm going to preach it. And this is what God told me. You ready? In 1964 to 1966, America suffered the single most concentrated reversal of its fortunes, even more than the Civil War, the Vietnam War, and other things combined. In a matter of less than 36 months, the, the entire fortunes of this country and our economic problems began in 1964. They didn't begin when Bush left office. And I'm going to explain why. A woman in Texas said our children should not be praying in the classrooms. Now I'm going to give you the statistics. Look at me right now. 76 million children were praying. They were the baby boom generation. And here's what they were saying. This is what they said. This is the controversial prayer that we ban. Lord, we ask your blessing on our parents, on our teachers, on our leaders, and on ourselves. Amen. I want you to look at me. I don't care if those were Buddhist children, if those were Islamic children, if those were atheistic children. 76 million innocent little voices declaring a blessing on the United States of America every day. Now watch. When that went through, we then declared war on the unborn. So within those two laws, we dismantled everything. This is a fact. The year before prayer was banned, 100,000 young people ran away from home. 100,000. Twelve months later, it went up to one million. Tenfold. Tenfold. If you look at a graph, everything from violence to addiction, it, it spiked. It shark finned straight up. America is going to decide on this point. In the next year, we're going to make a decision. has nothing to do with the presidential election. Who you vote for is important. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something that you better get in your soul. There is every bit as much as during the Civil War there was a black, uh, there was a blue and a gray army. There's going to be uniforms worn. And the question is, who and how did America become great? America became great. Look me right in the eye. America became great not by the work of man. You're going to have to ask this. You're going to be on one side of the argument. You're going to be on the other. You're going to be with rioters or you're going to be with the righteous. And here's the question. How did America become great? Because deciding how America became great will decide how to make it great again. Was it the result of our education, the sweat of our brow, our initiative, our environment, our natural resources? Or was it God? Was it God? And I'm here to tell you, America was never made great even by the virtue of our documents. It was God that made our documents great. It was God that made our economy great. 
It is God who made us what we are and have the prestige in the world. And to the degree that we have turned away from God, we've been demoted in the national scene. We've been brought down on every graph of the greatness of a nation. We've been diminished. We've even had our credit rating dropped. And I'm going to tell you what else. I believe that God wants to reverse the curse of 1964 to 1966. And I believe this. I believe that Victory Outreach has been raised up by God for this hour. Now look, not only in America, but in Europe and in Asia and in Africa and in Latin America. God has raised you up. You don't even know who you are. You see, the devil, in taking away your money, in taking away those stiff-necked people that criticized you, left you thinking we're on a downward spiral. But Jesus said, every branch in me that bears fruit, I will prune so that it may bear more fruit. Now, we're about to see it. Now, here we finish our sermon tonight. How many of you are being blessed so far? Okay. We're going to finish up. God is going to tell you something strange to do in your outreach. It'll make no sense. Even in telling people, you'll know if, if it's of God. Because if you tell them and they don't go, huh? Then you know it's not God yet. You still are making it up. This time tomorrow. Well, I didn't, I fought that. Should I call this sermon this time tomorrow? This time tomorrow. This time tomorrow, the last thing in the world you would ever expect. I believe that a great youth revival is coming to the United States of America. I believe that a great youth revival is coming to the United States of America. I believe that the warped and biased dictatorship of the media is going to be brought to an end. And the voice of the heart of America. You see, America, devil, 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 you listen to me because in the morning I remind you about the lake of fire. But I'm going to remind you of something else. Yes, you would be right to tell me America was going to go under if it was just another country. But America is not just another country. There are millions of saints that are crying out to God night and day for revival in this country. And God is going to hear their cry and God's going to answer their prayers. And the power of God is going to roam like a river through the streets. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Some of you are still giving me that Sacramento look. I know. But I submit to you that that's precisely the look that Elisha got that day. This time tomorrow. This time tomorrow. You're not going to be asking questions like, how am I going to get my car fixed? You're not going to be asking questions like, how are we going to get this broken window repaired? How are we going to, how are we going to pay the rent this month? Because the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. And God's going to send it. 
And you say to me, Mario, how do you know that wealth is coming into the coffers of the victory outreach? Jesus said it. I didn't say it. He said, he who reaps receives wages. Someone asked me at church, we're going under. What do we I do? I said, win souls. Win souls. They said, but we got to have money. No, you got to win souls. Because the minute you begin to win souls, God's going to clear the check. God has never allowed a soul winning ministry to go under. Never. He who reaps receives wages. Now, but how? How's this going to? And a, and a man is holding the king's attache case. And he said, look, if heaven had windows, this couldn't happen. I hear that all the time. That's how I know I'm on the right track. Because what I preach ticks off all the right people. The fact that that ticked you off and what I know about you shows me I'm on the right track. What would have been really scary is if you had liked it. Now, how? In the very next verse, the prophet says, because of what you just said, you'll see it, but you won't taste it. One of the biggest epidemics in the Christian church within the next 10 years is going to be whiplash. That those who knew the Lord didn't get right, those who knew they should have been winning souls and didn't, those who quit right before God gave them their breakthrough, those who were sidelined by their own bitter spirit are going to get whiplash watching the church go by. Going, what was that? How'd they do that? Where did that come from? There's a blessing coming. There's a provision coming. There's a supernatural intervention of God coming. You feel it right now. Do you feel it? So how is it going to happen? This is what... This is what I love. Now there were four lepers. Next verse. There were four lepers. So I'm sitting here reading this story and thinking to myself, all right, we're going to go from cannibalism to five cents a loaf for bread. And the Bible's next story, there were four lepers sitting outside by themselves. I only need a few minutes. That's all I need. And this is so powerful because they are the last ones that anyone in the city thought would be the source of the miracle. Four lepers, bottom of the food chain. Nobody wants them. It's bad enough to be a leper when there is food, but during a famine, you are in a horrible, horrible place. Twenty years ago, I stood in the World Convention and first used the term the Lazarus generation. And I said that out of the American hell holes would come an army, an army so powerful, so mighty, so anointed. Then when I went to the Second World Convention, I don't know what I did to make Sonny mad that it took 20 years to get back to a World Convention. 
but I've repented all over myself because I'm sure it was my fault and not his. I began to see this Lazarus generation becoming a signs and wonder healing army. And tonight in Sacramento, I'm telling you that we are birthing a new ministry, and I'm letting you know about it. Mario Murillo Ministries is going to start a new ministry by the divine order of God. We're going to buy a 3,000-seat state-of-the-art air dome, and we're going to take it across the United States in something called Living Proof Crusades. And the Lord said, here's the simple fact. I want you to set up a tent and not rent an auditorium because if I tell you to stay in a city for a month or two months or six months, you don't have to move. But you're going to harvest young people by having them come in the tent and be healed and delivered and see living proof of the power of God. Somebody give God the glory. And true to form, that's nuts. Four lepers, nothing left to lose. See, you don't understand that it's the fact of when you feel hurt and you feel alone and you feel overlooked and you feel marginalized, that that's when you become the most explosive person in the kingdom of God. How many of you admit it? Look at me right now. How many of you fought such a hard battle? You've been attacked so much that right now, here's your attitude. I got nothing left to lose. Come on, look at me like that. I got nothing left to lose. I got nothing to prove and nothing to lose. God is looking for people who have nothing left to lose and nothing left to prove. You ready? And the four lepers are talking, and one of them says, if we sit here, we're going to die. The second one says, if we go in the city, we'll die. Third one says, it doesn't matter if we sit here or if we go in the city, we're going to die. So the fourth one is like everyone in this room. You are the fourth leper. You are, hello, the fourth leper. You're not the guy who said, I'm going to go in the city and die. If I go, I'm going to sit here and I'll die. Or it doesn't matter whether I sit here or go in the city, I'm going to die. You're the fourth leper. And here's what he said. I'm going to get dressed and go to the enemy's camp. And I'm, and I'm going to get a sandwich. I'm going to get a sandwich. Now, I want you to love this part. This is the part I love the most. So all three of them look at him and said, you're going to do what? I'm going to walk over there and I'm going to steal some food. I'm going to eat a sandwich. And they all said, but you might die. And so he talked the other three into going with him. And something amazing happened.
Something amazing is going to happen to your church. Pastor, listen to me. Listen to my heart. I'm telling you this. I'm living this out in my own life. Something amazing is about to happen in your church. And it's going to come from the last group of people you expect. And if... And, and they started walking to that camp. We have sound systems today. We have quadraphonic. We have bass notes. One day I was standing on Whittier Boulevard. How many ever been there? I was standing on Whittier Boulevard. And, and this little Japanese car with tinted glass parked right in front of me. Waiting at a red light. And all of a sudden the ground started moving. And it was going boom. And I thought, we're having an earthquake. And I realized it was a guy playing music in his car. And his ears, the hair on his head was blowing straight back. He's grooving with his nose bleeding. Four lepers shuffling their feet across sand does not a loud sound make. But the Bible says God made the enemy to hear a sound. That made them sound like a mighty army. If you'd asked them what are we, we're four lepers shuffling our feet across the sand trying to get a sandwich. But when God was through speaking to the enemy's heart, they became an awesome force to where they dropped their food and began yelling things like the Egyptians have been hired to kill us. The Babylonians are coming. Even one said, it's Godzilla. <laughs> and they ran. And they ran and they ran and they ran. The Bible says they left a trail of clothes Jewelry, didn't bother to get any of that. They were dying of fright. I hate it when pastors are told it's some growth conference. It's your building. It's your outfit. It's your demeanor. It's your delivery. It's baloney. Don't make me start out on that again. The sincere hearted pastor who feels like he is nothing, has no chance. When they call out to God and say, God, use me in a dark time. Use me in a time when it is impossible and there's no answer. And God is going to make you sound like a mighty army. And he's going to make the demons run. He's going to make people let go of their money. And the blessings are going to start coming from all directions. Somebody give the Lord a shout right now. Yes. And so they went to the roast beef stand, sliced themselves off an end piece, medium rare, with some horseradish and uh, Yorkshire pudding. Yes, they did. Then they went on to the most important part. 
They went where the burritos were. Amen. Amen. Y tiene arroz con pollo, gracias a Dios. The handmade tortillas. But I digress. And they ate, and they're laying there. Then they said to one another in verse 9, we are not doing right. This is a day of good news. And we remain silent. I'm going to end my sermon in a few moments. But I want you to look at me. Before the money gets here, look at me. Before the new building comes, before the cantankerous elders are finally gone and the real servants of God come to be on your board, when the disgruntled staff finally gets in its car and drives off, And the servants of the Lord who are part of your team arrive. And you're looking poor and destitute, divided, demoralized. You have got to look at me now and listen to this. Of all the things I've said tonight, nothing is more important. Yes, the city was saved. Yes, the four lepers went back to the household of the king and said they've abandoned all of their vast treasures and stores of food. And the next day, a loaf of bread sold for five cents. America will again see the Ten Commandments on the courthouse wall. America will have prayer in the classroom. America will have marriage between a man and a woman. America will defend the rights of the unborn. And America will have church after church after church overflowing with songs of worship and rejoicing, and God is going to restore our economy. But we will say it was God and not me. Somebody say amen. amen. But it's something I demand that you do now. You got to do this tonight. Before the money gets here, before the right staff gets here, before the building is paid off, and before all your debts are solved, you've got to say, I am blessed. You're blessed now. God isn't going to become any better when you get your money. He's not going to be a gooder God than he is now. And you're not going to be a more blessed person. If God never did another thing for you, you have had so many good things happen to you. How many of you are blessed? How many of you are thankful? How many of you say, thank you, Jesus? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Everybody up on your feet right now. You know, I don't really deserve to be up here doing this. But I serve a God who is so good, so merciful. He's overlooked so many things in my life and forgiven me and helped me to change and go on. And I wonder if you will right now just say Jesus. Maybe we could have some singers and musicians come up to the front. One of the songs you sang tonight that hit me between the eyes was Say the Name of Jesus. And I wonder if in a minute we could sing it again. 
Say, I am blessed. Right now. Before my healing. Before my miracle provision. Before my church is overflowing with members. I'm already blessed. 